Survivor 46 is here, and so is On Fire, the only official Survivor podcast, and we have a twist this season. The winner of Survivor 45, D. Vyadaris, will be joining us every week. We're going behind the scenes of the biggest moments, the how and the why things happen, and the strategy and analysis you can only get from someone like me, a Survivor winner. Listen to On Fire, the official Survivor podcast, wherever you get your podcast. This episode is brought to you by Paramount Plus. Get in, loser! Mean Girls is now streaming on Paramount Plus. Join Katie Heron as she meets the plastics and Tina Fey's new twist on the modern classic. Get ready for more of the rumors, backstabbing, and jokes you loved from the original movie with some fetch surprises. Rated PG 13. Wear pink and head to ParamountPlus.com to try it free. My calculation is moving more and more towards staying home. Because I don't, I don't know what the right thing to do is. This is Death, Sex, and Money from WNYC. I'm Anna Sale. And this is a listener who emailed us last week. She's 32 and lives alone in Virginia. And she's been sober for a little less than a year and a half. One of our, like, cliche slogans that you hear people say, and was one of the songs in Frozen 2, um, is like, do the next right thing. Right? I love that song. Um, it's so good. And, you know, Kristen Bell's husband is in recovery. And I was like, they totally stole <laughs> one of our things. I'm not kidding. I really do love this song. And after two weeks at home with my daughters, I have been hearing a lot of it. Anyway, we've been hearing a lot from you about some of the challenges of being forced to stay at home, particularly for those of you who are in recovery or are sober. So I wanted to talk to this listener about that. Her job is in social services, and she didn't want to use her real name. We can do Chloe. It's the name I used to give guys I didn't want to talk to at bars when I was still drinking. (laughs) (laughs) Regular 12-step meetings helped Chloe stop drinking. But that routine, along with everything else, is in flux. Addiction thrives in isolation, she wrote in her email to us. For some of us, being around people on the regular is the thing that keeps us alive. Last week, I gave Chloe a call from my new makeshift studio in my back bedroom. So if you hear anything that doesn't sound like it would regularly happen in a radio studio, it's because I'm at home. (laughs) Um, Sheltering in place. Sheltering in place. So... I want to talk to you about your email, um, uh, but first I want to understand, so you're you're in Virginia right now. How much are you staying at home right now? I'm staying at home as much as possible. Um, if I need to go to the grocery store, I'll go to the grocery store and um, things like that. I'm going for a lot of walks yeah. <laughs> outside. Um, when the weather is nice and warm, but yeah, before you were spending most of your time at home, how often were you going to meetings? Um, depending on how difficult things were in my life at that time, anywhere from twice a day to three times a week, four times a week. Yeah. And what's happened since you're spending time mostly at home? Have you noticed that your community as your recovery community is sort of scattered and is trying to figure out other ways of staying in touch? So, you know, a lot of recovery groups are held in hospitals. 
or in churches. Um, and where I am, those things are closing down. Yeah. So a lot of groups have been asked, you know, have lost their place to meet. And, you know, I know some groups are moving outside. Hmm. Um, but for me personally, it's really balancing the my extreme fear of of isolation and what isolation has meant for me and can mean for me um, with a sense of responsibility to other people who are, you know, 30 days in to this process when your brain is still, you know, going crazy and screaming at you all the time and who are craving that in-person interaction so badly with my, you know, concern about spreading a virus that can turn fatal. Um, which one do I prioritize? And it's really hard. What have you noticed about, like, how are you staying in touch since you've been spending more time at home? Um, so I I went to a meeting yesterday. I went to actually two different kinds of meetings yesterday. One was a place that was physical where I was there. And um, that was a really hard decision for me to make to go. I was really glad that I was there um, in spite of the amount of guilt that I felt throughout the rest of the day, kind of questioning my decision because there were a lot of people in that room who talked about how much more afraid they are of their addiction than they are of coronavirus. And so I, I did that. And then I also did an online meeting yesterday at night and they were really, really different experiences. Um, but they both gave me something. I was glad I did both of them, um, and showed up for both of those things. But I would say that it's bringing me back to early recovery in a way that I wasn't expecting. Hmm. Um, because I have to think about the things that keep me, that keep me sober for like today, for right now. Um, because like, we have no idea what tomorrow is going to look like. And that's always true, but it's particularly evident to me right now. (laughs) Yeah. Um, And all of the sort of systems that you've been developing over the past 500 plus days are in flux. Right. So, you know, it's like, I have, I have my things I do. I, I talk on the phone a lot. Um, you know, I still have to work, which feels uh, a little unreasonable in some ways to try to get the same amount of things done. Um, but I still have to do all the same things. And so, yeah, it's just, it's changing all the time. What was the physical space at the meeting? Did you notice were chairs further apart than usual? Were people not touching in the way that they usually do when they greet each other? What What was different in the um, physical meeting? Yeah, some things were... Exactly the same. Um, it is really hard to get people who are in recovery to give up coffee. <laughs> um, and so, you know, they had disposable coffee cups, but we're still serving coffee. And I was like, so you're all, you're all touching the same coffee pot. How is that? You know, mm-hmm. how is that better? Um, but the chairs were a little further apart. The meeting was a lot smaller. Um, But it was, you know, the people who were there, I felt like really, probably really were afraid and needed to be there. So what's different about being 
in the same space physically with people um, compared to a virtual meeting where you're coming and gathering intentionally, but not, but online? Uh, I mean, the first thing that comes to mind is uh, the, the difference between those things is just like technology is annoying. Yeah. Um, and like impossible. It's constantly breaking up and people are unmuting themselves. And um, so there's that that's aggravating, but you know, people drive you crazy in person too, because they're like getting up and walking around or clearing their throat really loud or <laughs> spilling coffee everywhere like eight times. Um, and like cursing loudly under their breath and, you know, like people are aggravating everywhere. And that's, you know, I know that that's about me on my inside, right. Um, more than it is on the outside. I'm just, um, but I, I don't feel as connected to other people through a screen. Mm -hmm. Does that feel, is there something like, is it harder to compartmentalize when you're living at home and you're having a work call and then you're having a call with somebody who's in recovery with you, like, is there something that feels more, I don't know, weird about that? Um, I don't know if it's harder to compartmentalize it. Maybe it is. I haven't actually thought about that before, but I think what's hard, I guess, about it for me is that, People in my life know that I live alone, um, but they may not know that I live alone and I'm in recovery and how important social, you know, social interaction is and recovery communities are to so many people's recovery. Um, and so I think there's, it reminds me of kind of that pain that I felt before I got sober where I really wanted people to see and understand how hard it was and somebody to see, Oh, she's really struggling. Maybe she needs help and offer help. And fortunately I'm familiar with that feeling. I've done this before and I can say, Oh, I, I know that I'm, I'm sitting here quietly like a good girl hoping Somebody will intuit <laughs> that I'm in a lot of pain and will know and will call or will say the thing or will ask me if I need help. And I've learned through experience that you have to raise your own hand and say, excuse me, um, I'm in a lot of pain right now. And when you say, when, you, when you're raising your hand right now, what does that look like? Um, calling people and saying, you know, I'm, I'm scared or I'm lonely or... Um, I'm having this feeling, um, being able to say out loud, I feel lonely is hard. I don't like saying it to you <laughs> right now. Um, it is very uncomfortable, but I know that people feel lonely all the time. And if we don't acknowledge it, then we can't move through it. You know, people who have been doing this for longer than I have talked about, you know, not putting your head down and running through the things that you're afraid of, but standing up and, you know, looking at the, the thing and walking through your fears. Do you think that being in recovery has helped you? Like, do you feel like you're, you are armed with more tools than people who 
haven't had the experience of going through recovery of dealing with this time. Um, may- maybe. <laughs> I don't want to assume what anybody has or hasn't, doesn't, does or doesn't have. Um, but I've had to practice so many things that are uncomfortable for me around reaching out to people I don't know very well, calling people and checking in on them. And also just building community, which is something that I find fascinating, how people successfully build good communities that I I think I've just maybe practiced it more Mm -hmm. than some folks have. Yeah. Well, you've had the experience of having a lot fall away, you know? Yeah. And and then you've had to, like, you know, sometimes people build community because of it just happens spontaneously, but you've had the experience of having to really intentionally figure out how to communicate, ask for help, lend help um, in ways that I think is really useful right now because we're not just going to run into each other, you know? (laughs) Right. Um, And I think the thing for me that is useful to folks who are in recovery and out of recovery is that this doesn't come easy for most people, you know, reaching out to people, calling people that you don't normally talk to. um, That's not comfortable or easy. It wasn't comfortable or easy for me, but to know that, you know, calling other people and asking them about their day or telling them about your day or talking about really anything other than the coronavirus or listening to them talk about the coronavirus, uh, all of those things, you can just practice that stuff. Anybody can do it. It's not, you know, it's not some kind of given talent. It's just, it's just practice. That's a listener we're calling Chloe. Before we got off the phone together, she wanted to tell me one more thing about an episode we did years ago with married musicians Jason Isbell and Amanda Shires. I used that podcast um, with my clients. Oh, you did? So I did. That's really beautiful. Um, I did. And uh, it really helps them and it really helped me. So in that conversation, Jason and I talked about his sobriety. And coming up, I check in with him about how he and his family are handling isolation and what music they're listening to. With what seems like an endless amount of information at our fingertips, we tend to forget that wondering about things is really part of the journey to finding answers we're looking for. So when it comes to the hot topics of Israel, Judaism, and Zionism, there's so much to wonder about right now that it's hard to know where to turn. Enter the latest weekly podcast from Unpacked, Wondering Jews with Michal and Noam. Join hosts and educator extraordinaires Michal Biton and Noam Weissman as they tackle these topics and the uncomfortable questions that surround them with the goal of working towards the answers, together with their listeners. No matter where you're from, if you've ever wondered about anything, this is the podcast for you. So check it out. Subscribe to Wondering Jews with Michal and Noam on your favorite podcast app today. Wondering Jews is brought to you by Unpacked, a division of Open Door Media. 
Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. I want to thank you for listening and for all your support as we at Death, Sex, and Money have made our move to Slate. Your stories, voice memos, and emails have meant so much to the team. As part of this transition, there's a new way to support our show financially at Slate, our new home. And you'll get something special in return. Subscribe to Slate Plus, and you'll not only support our work on death, sex, and money, you'll get access to new benefits, including listening to us and all of the other great shows Slate makes, like Slow Burn and Dakota Ring, without any ads or sponsor breaks. To subscribe, just click Try Free at the top of the Death, Sex, and Money show page on Apple Podcasts, or visit slate.com slash DSM Plus to get access wherever you listen. Thanks. Hello. Hi, Jason. It's Anna Sale. How are you? I'm okay. How are you? I'm doing just fine. Just fine today. When I talked with musician Jason Isbell last Friday, he'd been self-quarantining at his home outside Nashville with his wife Amanda Shires, their four-year-old daughter, and some family friends for about the past week. Uh, We've got three uh, extra folks and a dog uh, in here, and they had had a, a bunch of tornado damage in their neighborhood. And uh, we just we just moved them into the house for the time being. Well, you um, mentioned the but, tornado. I've been thinking about that. Like you're you're in Nashville, Tennessee yeah. is just still reeling from those tornadoes earlier this month. I mean, how what have you noticed about how that's changed with people not being able to be as physically together? That recovery. Um, you know, it, it. I do kind of feel like the the efforts for tornado recovery and dealing with that um, um, kind of got swept under the rug, um, you know, and, and that's just the way things are. It's not like we can change that, uh, but it's just sort of disaster piled on top of disaster for those folks. Um, you know, the last show that I played uh, um, before the virus knocked everything out was a benefit show for tornado victims and um you know we raised a lot of money but there were three or four more scheduled that week that got canceled so that was yeah i mean seeing a quarantine cancel a bunch of tornado relief shows was very sad for me Mm. very sad yeah can you give me like a visual of what you all have done with these three extra people and dog in your house like what have you all been doing (laughs) to pass the time well last night amanda um uh, cooked uh, a big dinner. Luckily, we had uh, parsley. The parsley is starting to come up, and it's it's usable. We have a big garden outside, and, and uh, um, so she went out and got some herbs from the garden, and, and we found a couple of lemons, and uh, I grated up a bunch of cheese, and she cooked a big dinner. Um, and and she has like a, there's a pasta dish that has lemon in it, which I never would would have thought would work, but it's it's amazing. She's she's a really good cook. Amanda was supposed to be out on tour right now. Jason also had some tour dates coming up this month, too. They've both got new music to promote. 
Jason has a whole new album coming out in May. And now, like a lot of musicians, their tours and revenue streams are really up in the air. You know, I, I, I'm really lucky in my situation because I have a little bit of a safety net and, and, and you know, missing out on a few shows or having to reschedule a few shows or even a lot of shows is not going to uh, cripple me financially. But um, everybody at the level right under me uh, is suffering right now because they, you know, they don't have the same kind of safety net. So, um, you know, I'm trying to not focus on my own issues with having shows canceled and moved and trying to think about the folks who really seriously can't afford to miss work right now. You just said you, you, you're trying to think about what other people need, but I, I, one thing I'm wondering for you, um, have you noticed at all how, like, does, does changing up your routine suddenly, does it, does it make you think about your recovery and sobriety in a different way? For you, that's something we've heard about from listeners. Yes. Well, I, I have been thinking about that, but um, just for me personally, you know, I'm used to changing up my routine. Um, and I've been doing that for the last 20 years of my life, you know, going through periods of time where I'm on the road and I'm around people and, and then uh, coming home and being somewhat isolated. Um, but I mean, that, that's, that's a huge, it's a huge change. Um, you know, when you go out on tour and you're playing for a few thousand people every night and then you come home and you're vacuuming, you know? <laughs> <laughs> so I personally am, you know, I've been working a long time on adapting to those changes. Um, and as a sober person, um, that was one of the biggest challenges for me and, and one of the real focal points of me getting sober and staying that way. When, when you've, since you've had so many years practicing this, like when you, when you have those very quick changes in momentum and, mm. and um, being surrounded by people and then all of a sudden not, did you find anything in particular that helped you with those transitions? Yeah. I mean, establishing rituals in both, uh, uh, um, settings for me, really, you know, um, if when I'm on the road, if I do essentially the same things throughout the day, um, and then when I'm home, there are different things, but they're also scheduled at essentially the same times. Um, a big thing for me was just making sure I got exercise every day. That was, mm -hmm. that was a huge part of recovery. And it was a huge part of, of, you know, acclimating, uh, myself to the different types of life that I have. Um, you know, whether I'm on the road or home, I try to take a couple hours every single day to, to, to work out and, and keep myself active. Um, mm -hmm. you know, I'm also, I'm a man in my forties, so I'm going to turn into a, a, an apple on a couple of popsicle sticks. <laughs> if I'm not careful. <laughs> <laughs> Another question I was thinking about for you, like, does being home and off the road, like, do you, you know, you have this new album coming out, you've just, you're releasing new singles, so you're in this period of new music coming out into the world, but being home, do you feel a sort of pressure to be writing new songs because you have this space and time? No, I, I don't feel a pressure. I, it, that, that particular, that very specific pressure is something that I 
that is like it's like tying my shoes you know it's mm. something I've, I've i've been dealing with for a long long time um because as a songwriter as somebody who could who could essentially sit down and start working at any point yeah. you're never you're never out of the office um so i had to teach myself early on to not go crazy thinking i could be writing a song right now um with that being said, I, you know, I always feel better after I've written one. So when I have the time and the opportunity and, and uh, can actually sit down and give in to that, I, I try to do it. What music have you been listening to around the house these last few days? My my wife keeps me very current. Um, uh, so it, she, she, she listens to new music. New Weekend uh-huh. is big today. And... Uh, Last night it was uh, Claro. That Claro album is really, really good. Um, and uh, um, Lennon Stella, um, her her uh, newest work is 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 really, really good pop music. Um, the, the the songs that Phineas has released uh, from his solo project are really good. Um, and then I, when nobody else is around, I go back and listen to old r&b music all all day um like who? or blues like yesterday i listened to freddie king a whole lot um and uh you know otis redding and and aretha and and the staple singers and um uh, albert king i think that uh, that born under a bad sign record is probably one of my five favorite albums ever made hmm. i've been listening a lot to your two new songs and hmm. i just like I'm just so be afraid and what have I done to help and listening to them when I'm stuck in my house and thinking about the way the world is just uncertain and wild and who knows what tomorrow's going to bring. Like yeah, they're mean, pretty appropriate anthems for this moment. And I just well, wonder how you think about that. Like you, it reminds me that the world is always, always in a mess. Hmm. Um, because like, I remember uh, uh, going to see, John Prine, you know, we, Amanda and I have played with John many times and, and seen a lot of his shows. One night he was playing here in Nashville at a little small club um, as part of the uh, Americana Fest thing a few years ago. And, and he was uh, he was playing his first album, um, his debut album all the way through and he had to go on ebay and buy a copy of it on vinyl just so he could set it up in front of him (laughs) on the stage and uh, he remarked on that like i think he had to pay like 70 or 80 bucks for it was shocked (laughs) but uh when he got to uh, sam stone um the song about the vietnam war you know he said i thought that this was gonna be um over with you know this song is this came out in 71 you know, I thought that when I wrote it in 70, that, that the war was about to end and that people would look back on the song uh, with nostalgia. But, you know, he, he was saying he didn't realize that 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 the, the, the theme of that song and the meaning behind it would be something that was so important to people uh, for so long. And, and I think partially as a songwriter, especially somebody who writes um, protest music or or music that's a call to action. I, I think there's a big part of you that hopes that, that that the world won't need those songs in six months or in a year. But the truth of it is, um, you know, those those songs wind up meaning things to people for a long time because 
we're we're not really doing a great job of of sorting out our problems. Hmm. Those are all my questions for you. It's it's always so fun to talk to you. I'll, I'll be well, thinking I, about I, apples on popsicle sticks. <laughs> oh, time. apples on popsicle sticks. Yeah. That's Jason Isbell, and this is one of his new singles called What Have I Done to Help. It's off of his forthcoming album called Reunions. And while he and Amanda are quarantined at home, they're going to be performing live on the internet from their barn at 5 p.m. Central. You can watch those daily performances on YouTube. Just search for Amanda Shires. And we're going to refeed my 2014 conversation with Jason and Amanda tomorrow. In the show notes there and here, we'll have a link to a Spotify playlist of the songs they're listening to at home, plus the next right thing from Frozen 2, because we all may need that song right now. I'm Anna Sale, and this is Death, Sex, and Money from WNYC. WNYC.